Hello lovely angels, how are we all? Welcome back to another episode of Straight Up. We hope you enjoyed our fantastic episode with Akon last week. Oh my god, yes. Right, this week though, we're back with some celeb culture talking points. First, Els, please tell me, have you seen the photographs from on set of the new Amy Winehouse Oh my god, yes I have. I'm really upset because I really liked Marissa Abella, who is going to play Amy. She was the, um, she was Yaz in industry. Oh, oh, oh my god. I did not put that together from the photos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, whoa. She looks very different. Yeah. Um, But I am not convinced. Do you know who I thought would have been an amazing Amy Winehouse? Ray. Ooh, she would actually. Because she's yeah. a North London girl. Is she um, an actress? Did, can she act? No, but can Lady Gaga? Very Sorry, as in she can act, but yeah. she wasn't an actress. <laughs> Sorry, I do love Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga would have been another amazing Amy Winehouse oh, if she'd she been 10 been years younger. Absolutely amazing. But I think you do need an English actress though. British, I should yeah, say. Yeah, that's so. true. I think um, Ray would be amazing. She's got the voice. It just looks look. so like cheap in the pictures. Like I know obviously they're meant to be the pictures of when she's like in the midst of her public breakdown. It looks like so like low rent. Like the, the beehive. beehive. It's falling what off. What is that? Like they it, it, they haven't even tried to make it look like it's her real hair. And the tattoos. They're so bad. It's like the Christmas ones you put on yourself. My mum went to a fancy dress party in October, a Halloween party, and she went as Amy Winehouse and she genuinely looked much better. <laughs> genuinely. She had a much better wig. I can't believe that. And much better tattoos drawn on. So, And it's controversial because it's directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, who's yes. Fifty Shades director. Yes who not everyone loves. I think the guy that plays Mitch, her dad, looks very much like Mitch, her dad. He does, actually. And also, Mitch is, like, quite pro the film, isn't he, I've heard? Yes, yeah, so, so this is why also I know it's going to be Dodge, because um, Mitch is, like, on board with the film, and obviously, you know... What was the um, documentary called with her mum in it again, from last year? Uh, God, I can't remember. God, Sorry, guys, that's really annoying. I might as well pop it in the show notes. But... I can't remember... That was kind of all told from her mum's perspective, wasn't it? And yes, it was. And much more um, sympathetic portrayal of the mum and like less so of the dad. Whereas the original biopic, where they use all the lyrics that's made by that like really Asif obvious Kipedia. director. Yeah. So good. Um, I loved that, but they had serious issues with it. Amy's friends and family and mum. And that's partly why she made that BBC documentary. But although like, interestingly, um, actually, fun fact, reviewing that film was um, my GQ application. Oh, really? Yes. That's so cute. Yeah, I know. I would dread to read it. It would be terrible. But anyway, yeah, interestingly, though, I didn't realise that Mitch had actually been on board with that and had done interviews and stuff, like, happily and thought it was a really good film because he loved Asif Kapadia's other documentary, Senna. It was only, like, afterwards, when it was about to come out, that he realised that he'd been made, like, the big bad wolf of the whole film. Um, that it was then, like, he was like, oh, no, it's got nothing to do with me. So this thing could happen with this project as well. He could, mm. It could be co-signed by the family estate to start with, and then they could get angry. I when is it coming out? I think if it's only filming now, it'll it's be, gonna be like a good next year, year and a half or something, isn't it? Yeah, but it's getting a lot of flack online. A lot of people are saying it's basically like the Britney Spears exploitation, like circus. Or like how many more like times we're going to flog Amy's like corpse and yeah. name. Yeah. I, I wonder who plays Bakefield the Civil. Um, just scum of the, the earth, guy from he? Skins, Jack O'Connell. Oh, I love that bit of casting. Excellent I'm casting. very into that. Yeah. I've got to say. I think as well, like, I just always want them to be able to sing. And obviously Marissa, I don't know what her voice is like. There's no way from her speaking voice that she can do an Amy singing voice. 
No. They'll use like old recordings probably. I mean, I think Sam Taylor Johnson is also um, a proper Camden girl, like knows Amy Winehouse's story. Used to like grow, used to go to the pub that Amy went to in Camden. So I think she's pretty well versed in Amy's life. So it makes sense for her to be the director. I think Marissa Bella is a massive Amy fan. I think she had like an Amy necklace when I saw pictures of her. I know, but so like just being a fan. You're a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah. Oh God, I'm sad. I don't want to see a shit Amy biopic. And also, sorry, but it's so easy to do a real beehive. Like, there's no excuse there. You don't need that weird toupee. I mean, I did a Marie Antoinette hive. And your hair is like shoulder length, so exactly. come on. Exactly, and it was amazing. Oh my God, so. guys, um, you actually have to go and sit. Have you got a picture of that on your yes, Instagram? Okay, thank God. You've got to actually look at it. It's quite brilliant. I mean, I did it all by myself in about half an hour, so. You actually do look like you're in a Marie, like you're Marie Antoinette. Or I you're do. Like- Talking also of women that look like they're in a Halloween costume of a celebrity. Poor Pamela Anderson. Um, um, she's really been having a hard time of it, hasn't she? She has. So I have watched the Pamela um, A Love Story documentary on Netflix, and it's also in tandem with her memoir coming out later this week, I think. Um, and essentially, it's her reclaiming her story uh, since the Pam and Tommy Hulu drama came out last year with oh. Lily James playing Pam. Do you so remember the that? Netflix, yeah, I loved it. But the Netflix series, I didn't realise was like Pam's story. Yeah, it's Pam's story. Interestingly Interesting. though, so for those of you who don't know about Pam Anderson, which really is a surprising amount of our Gen Z listeners, listeners, because I was talking to someone who was Gen Z the other day and they were like, oh, was she just famous? What's she famous for? The sex tape? And I was like, oh, no, Baywatch. They were too young to remember the Baywatch era. Yeah. I mean, I didn't watch Baywatch. No, but I, I didn't. But I, it was like the main cultural reference point of like the 90s for like a hot beach woman. Um, yes, exactly. And so she was on Baywatch and then once she married Tommy Lee, which I would say is actually what made her super famous. Baywatch made her famous, then her marriage to Tommy Lee, who was in Motley Crue after four days after they met on a bender and took ecstasy and then like literally married on a beach and got like one of the nightclub waitresses to be her maid of honour. That made her super famous. And then they saw the sex tape a year later. So poor Pamela Anderson, I think, gets mischaracterized as like, you were only famous because of the sex tape. But they didn't sell it. It was it got stolen, right? It got stolen. Because uh, that's then... the whole storyline of that whole drama, the Pam and Tommy yes. drama with Seth Rogen and he's the guy that nicked it. Yes. So yeah. they made, and she clears it up in the documentary. She's like, I literally never made a dime. And mm. it's so sad hearing it from her point of view. I mean, poor Pamela Anderson has had a terrible time of it as well. She talks in the documentary about how she was molested by her female babysitter when she was a child across four years then she lost her virginity to a 25 year old man who raped her and then two years later she had a boyfriend whose six friends gang raped her oh my god yeah so i think then it's really interesting to reframe why she did the playboy cover and yeah. really sexualize herself she says it was because she didn't see herself as a sexual person because it essentially been robbed mm. from her by these men and then she was able to like get confidence and get ownership of her own body, which I think is actually quite a common theme. I was going to say, I feel like that's quite a classic story, isn't it? Like even like porn performers and stuff, like usually when you like dig a little deeper into their story, there's been like maybe some sexual abuse, some sense that they want to re-empower themselves, take ownership of their own sexuality. Defo, quite common. Interestingly, there's a really good interview with um, Pamela in the Sunday Times magazine by Decca Eichenhead. Oh, my babe. Yeah. I love her profile. I actually have to say it's a it's better than watching the documentary. I would really? listen to this episode, then read this interview and you probably don't need to watch the documentary, which is highly problematic because it's meant to be Pamela's own words and we're basically not letting her tell it in her own words. So maybe <laughs> for that point, watch it. But um, yeah, she says at the end of that um, interview, like who's the one person that has given you like complete respect? She says Hugh Hefner. 
Interesting. Which is interesting, right? Very interesting. Yeah. So, because um, she worked with him, obviously, for Playboy, but refused to be a Playboy bunny in the mansion. Mm. She refused to live with him. Well, that Holly, you know, the one that was like his main wife that was like in the bunnies of the Playboy mansion or whatever that reality show is now doing some kind of like huge expose about like how awful it was. Yes, to be fair, even though Pamela had that good experience, I've heard some very bad things about Hugh Hefner. Also, I feel like it would be very typical that Hugh Hefner would be nice to like a big celebrity, but he's not going to be nice to like unknown women. Yes, you don't have a voice. Like, yeah, he's going to be nice to like the Kim Kardashians. Although when she did Playboy, she wasn't famous yet, really. She was like, it's not even her name on the cover. Oh, so she was just like unnamed model. Yeah, I think essentially that's what helped made her really famous. So I think her story is she um, was at like a, an American football game and she was wearing a beer, I can't remember which beer, but like a branded beer crop t-shirt looking really hot. And it, the, the camera panned to her and then that beer company saw her and was like, we want her to model our beer. Uh, and then she became the the face of that beer brand. And then oh. Playboy, Hugh Hefner saw her in the beer commercial. I was like, I want her on the cover. Um, so this is like a really reductive question and I'm sorry to have to go this low, but I also need to know, in that initial beer ad slash spotting casting moment, yeah. did she already have fake boobs? So I have shamefully actually thought about this too much. I think uh, she already had a sizable pair of knockers mm-hmm. and then she very much got them augmented. I think they looked much better before. Not to shame anyone who chooses to have plastic surgery, but it's very much of that time. Like yeah, it was that time. 90s look, like the hyperplastic yeah. look. <laughs> like inflatable. Stuck on. Yes, yeah. exactly. But it's so upsetting when you watch like talk show hosts and stuff just addressing her boobs and just talking to them and talk. it's so mad to think that male talk show hosts would ask their guests about their boobs it's actually crazy like I can't believe how much the world has changed and I guess we were too young that's the thing when that 90s culture I was obviously a tiny child so I wouldn't have been watching like celebrity interviews or whatever but Can you imagine we're scared to ask celebrities we interview about their bloody like partners wives Literally. and husbands you're like sometimes. scared to be like what do you do on a date night yeah let alone like my the one I, the worst one i ever saw which is quite famous but interesting because it was from a female talk show host can't remember her name was it diane sawyer's asking um britney spears oh, if she was a virgin. yeah yeah that was diane sawyer and that went really yeah. big recently didn't it yeah it so inappropriate that probing it's really strange but very interesting how it's very interesting so anyway in terms of the documentary it's produced by her two sons which is kind of cute oh that's so cute and it's as in her sons with tommy uh yes And it's her going through her letters that she used to write her sons. And also she used to just write on legal notepads, like her life story, which is quite interesting. Obviously, I mean, quite sad that she Mm. had so many stacks of legal notepads because obviously she was going through this massive legal issue with the sex tape and mad as well that the lawyers um, told her she she didn't have her own lawyers told her she didn't have right to privacy because... She's a famous person. Yeah. And, and and they also asked her her favourite sex positions. And it was so traumatising that she just quit the lawsuit. She like called it off. Oh. And she was about to give birth and she thought it would harm the baby. So that's oh. why she never actually took anyone to court and she never got any justice from it because she was just like... It's going to make her like seriously ill. Yeah. So, um, but in terms of documentary, it's slightly dull. I mean, Pamela is very much like trying to be as normal as possible. And I saw a review of it the other day that was like, she's been so open about her entire life to literally everyone for 25 years that she just doesn't really have much more to say. Yeah. It's going to shock you. Um, so it's, it's not revelatory. It's nice, but it's not revelatory. Even though she's been quite voiceless. I guess... The story's been told so many ways. Because she hates the documentary, right? Yes. Um, as in, 
She hates the fact that um, she, 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 she didn't give her blessing and they went on with it anyway. Yeah. Oh, the Hulu series. Yeah, yeah she yeah. hates it. Because that's when she said they look like Halloween costumes. Yes, although she has invited Lily James to the premiere of her Netflix documentary. Interesting. Yeah. Because I read the quote that she gave to Variety, which was like how like hurtful it was to see that it was being made and how like, what did she say? She was like, it was just shocking. Tommy probably thought it was funny. I remember Tommy writing me a note saying, don't let this hurt you like it did last time because he'd heard through the kids that I was struggling with the idea of bringing all this up again. I don't think he was portrayed kindly. I just know that I refuse to watch it. Yeah, although interestingly, she does say in an interview that um, her friends were like, it looks awesome, can't wait to watch, thinking that she was involved. Because oh. you would just assume yeah. that they're involved. You really would assume that they'd been slightly involved. The difficult thing to say, and I would need to re-watch Pam and Tommy actually to have a perfect view on this, but I think Pam and Tommy is on her side. It's all about how exploited she was and how she was um, taken advantage yeah. of. Even though Pamela keeps saying the, the Hulu show wasn't, on my terms, it very much is kind of saying the same thing as the documentary, which is yeah, and she it humanized exploited. her a lot. Actually, yeah. that whole st- I didn't know the story of the sex tape until I watched it, and I was like, oh my god, Pamela Anderson is literally the victim of a horrific yes. sex crime. So it very much does give her a kind of voice, but the documentary maker uh, for Netflix did say it's a very different Pamela to the one he met. And actually, you can tell, like the Lily James one is like super sickly, breathless, yeah, like, yeah, dumb bimbo, and then. I mean, obviously she's 55, so it's a bit different now. But in the Netflix documentary, she's, she is quite different. Apparently she wanted to be a librarian and she refused to get a ghostwriter for her memoir. Whoa, she's written her own memoir. That is actually yeah. insanely impressive. But if you're saying that she's always been writing notes, like writing notes down on legal, like, yeah. paper or whatever, legal docs. Um, that, to me, sounds like a highly intelligent person. I think like, she is. She wanted to be, she said she used to write poetry, wanted to work in books. So I, I do feel, no, I don't feel sorry for her because that is... Patronizing, but I am impressed by this real version of Pamela that I've watched. Yeah. Um, I guess she's like one of the really early examples of women being like completely like trashed and demonized. Yeah. In the public narrative. And also, I guess it's even problematic to be like, oh my God, this really hot blonde actually likes poetry. Actually, most women I know who are hot are also really into like writing or like books and like most women do are completely 360 in that way I know but it's such like um a like pervasive myth like Emily Ratajkowski is just a modern version of that we can't believe the models could possibly be clever but you know what that is for me I will say the small undercurrent that I have that isn't about internalized misogyny there is that I think I just am shocked that people can be like extremely like blessed in more than one area because I would feel the same about a male model I'd be like that's just not fair that you get to look like that and also have like a very high IQ yes you know like we only all get graced with so many talents it's so true actually and um I'm gonna say this now because we're 20 minutes into the podcast so hopefully it's only friends here from now on but I will say that I did something quite naughty I watched the sex tape Oh, online. What, pre or post? Okay, this is even worse. I'm really sorry, Pamela. Um, But she says in the documentary, like anyone who watches a sex sex tape is um, like a disgusting human being. (gasps) Oh my God. And them. You. Listener. I watched it. No, I was just intrigued. I think it's like when you've just watched an entire documentary that's like hinged on this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm intrigued. I want to hear the deeds. So basically (laughs) it's cobbled together from lots of different home videos. Most of it, the most shocking bit, is Tommy and Pamela on a boat. I remember those, um, like, scenes being recreated in Pam and Tommy. When he's honking the boat with his penis. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's when he's doing loads of like, what do they even call that thing where people like spin their willy around? What's that called again? I don't um, know. Oh, helicoptering? No. Oh I want my it, God. It's got a name anyway when men do that. Like, because I've see, once seen someone doing it on a bar top in Magaluf and it was horrible. Um, oh my God. That is but quite Magaluf-ish. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so I didn't see that bit. To be fair, I only watched like, I watched enough that it would be enough for my research purposes. Because obviously I knew I was going to be talking about it on the podcast. So okay. it was journalistic. <laughs> no, I, had no idea. I had no idea that I was going to do that. Um, but I, what I will say is it's not sexy. It's like too funny, it's, which is why it's sad that it was made into a sex tape. It's like two jokes, lovers, like having fun. It's just like really personal It's so personal footage. and silly. It's like silly sex. Whereas I was watching the um, documentary, the two-part documentary on like the billion dollar dynasty, the Kardashians on Channel 4 the other day. Of course day. you were. I know, of course I was, even though I knew every single fact already. <laughs> yeah, you're like fact-checking it. Literally, I just had it on the background while I was cooking. But they show clips from the Ray J and Kim Kardashian tape, even. Do Obviously they? not really explicit ones. But um, A, that shows how much people do want to know. Like you say, it's an innate curiosity yeah. that we have of what is this tape. But B, there's definitely, like at least in the clips they used in this um, particular documentary, there's a really performative element to that tape. Like you can tell that it's like being made for others viewing, not yeah. for like home Do you think, are, are you of the... Um, view you, that the Kardashians yeah. did yeah oh absolutely they definitely crafted that on purpose but did, do you think it was Mama Jo Chris or do you, and Kim was kind of forced into it oh no no I think Mama Jo Chris and Kim like set the whole thing up together Kim working for Paris Hilton at the time knowing full well that sex tapes can literally kickstart someone's career kind of respect it so I mean I think it was like a really cleverly orchestrated move really did she make money from it yeah I think so so I do feel bad that Pamela hasn't been able to make any money from it but then I also feel like she would hate to yeah it's a tricky um, one that isn't it but then it's also like so deeply unfair that the man that stole it has made money off it I know do you know what I mean like the set and I have to say Logan that character. Pam and Tommy does make you feel kind of sorry for the guy that stole it cause yeah because you're always just a loser but also I think that's because Seth Rogen's likeable yeah that's true actually. I think if the casting had been different you could be like that man is a repulsive loser and obviously because Tommy Lee and this is true was so abusive to him he like got out his shotgun yeah like, yeah he like did like, you can see why he was, like, an angered former employee sort of thing. Yeah, 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 because Tommy Lee was getting work on his house done and was essentially refusing to pay his workmen, which is why they stole the safe that just happened to have the sex tape in it. So it wasn't even like they were just trying to steal the sex tape. They just wanted the safe. Oh, it's such a mess. But I hope she finds love. She's had five marriages. Oh, wow. One broke down uh, in the middle of filming the documentary. Interestingly, they were already filming it before Pam and Tommy came out, which must have been an e a bigger kick in the face. It's like, for fuck's sake, that's what's Hey, I'm meant up. to be doing this, yeah. telling the story. So is she currently married? No, she just divorced whilst filming. Yeah, so she's single again. I think she's just a massive romantic. She said that she might still be in love with Tommy Lee. Aww, that's so cute. Anyway, we wish Pam the best. We do. Don't watch the sex tape. Just take my word yes. for it. You don't need to. Ellie's watched it so that none of you have to. Exactly. No, because I genuinely feel guilty about that. Um, so, talking of other fun things. Sorry, that's actually not fun, but... Um, let's talk about the menu, because let's talk about we both menu. loved it so much. And we've literally held back from discussing at any other point so we could capture it on air. Tell our gorgeous listeners what the menu is. Okay, guys. So, the menu, if you haven't seen it, you can stream it on um, Disney, or you can see it in the cinema. It's like a theatrical black comedy um, from... The succession director, Mark Mylod. Mm. Don't know if that's that important, but it's kind of the eat the rich 
yes. absurdity of privilege vibe going on. So it follows um, like a foodie guy who's played by Nicholas Holt and his date, Margot, who's uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. They travel by boat to a restaurant called Hawthorne, which is like an exclusive restaurant owned and operated by a celebrity chef, Judy and Slowick, and it's located on a private island. It is... Kind of White Lotus, kind of Triangle of Sadness. Yes, it's a black comedy with a bit of horror. Yes, it is a horror, actually. I think that is how it's being described. I mean, I will say, I think Ralph Fiennes definitely makes it. He, he is so is funny. so good. He does he? look a bit like Voldemort in that, though. He did have Voldemort vibes in it. Yeah. I think because he's playing like such a sinister character that his like, old like Voldemort uh, techniques were definitely popping on through. It's, I have to say, as, because we've well, both obviously done so much fine dining in our lives through GQ, it's a very funny takedown of the kind of haute cuisine scene, isn't it? Yeah. Like, there's one bit where Ray Fiennes is addressing the people that have paid, like, literally, like, two and a half thousand dollars per person to come and have this 15 course meal. And he's talking about why in front of them they're going to have essentially, like, the ecosystem. They're going to eat the ecosystem. And then he's like, because we are but one frightened nanosecond. <laughs> In the entire ecosystem. And I'm like, that is exactly what some like pompous chef would say. Yeah, like the breadless bread plate. The breadless the bread plate. <laughs> so it's just like dips that you are meant to have with like a teaspoon. Um, it's so really ridiculous. Funny. Do you know what's quite fun? So I was actually reading this earlier. Did you notice? It's definitely a weird, ironic coincidence that Noma announced that it was like closing its doors I right at the time that the menu came out. I have been dying to read an Esquire long read on the decline of Noma. Ooh. No, it's not Esquire, Atlantic, but I don't Ooh, have a subscription. Okay. I oh, because that it. sounds great. Damn, I want to read that. Um, anyone with a subscription feel like sending a screen grabs to? Even though we should absolutely not be encouraging that as journalists. I just bought a subscription to the New York Times though, and I bought a, a subscription to Substacks. Um, my favorite. Here at Substack, Black Row, for anyone that's really into fashion and culture. You Ooh, would love it. I would definitely find it. By Amy Odell. Guys, I need to tell you about my gym journey. Okay, not to toot my own horn, but I've been making pretty solid progress recently, and I think it's genuinely really helped by my longtime fave and straight up's new partner, Huel which makes high protein, nutritionally complete meals, which you can have as a shake. I'm not gonna lie, I am literally so excited to be working with Huel and to share their message with all of you guys because I feel like so many women are nervous when it comes to protein. They just worry that it's gonna make them really bulky and big and just not look like shapely and womanly. I mean, I know that's definitely what I thought until a few years ago when I came around to the idea that I just really, really needed more protein in my diet and I just wasn't getting it in the food I was eating. Discovering Huel has been a game changer. I love it. My morning routine is completely different now before the gym. Els, please tell me about yours. I know you're a morning gymmer. I want to know your favourite flavour. We're Black Edition gals at the moment. Yes, so I absolutely love weight training. It's completely transformed my body image and the way I feel about getting stronger rather than skinny. I'm basically also one of those people that is does everything in a rush. I have no time in the morning to get ready. So I literally need to just pick up and take something within like that I can make in 30 seconds for me to take to the gym and then drink on the way to work. Um, and the chocolate flavored Huel Black Edition. It's perfect for that. Just two scoops. It contains 200 calories per scoop. Put it in a, a protein shaker with some water. Shake it, bring it to work, and just have it like at my desk after the gym. And that is basically breakfast ticked off all the protein I need. It's just so good. Like, I can't believe that it's a complete meal. And 26, I think, essential vitamins. It was like omega-3, vitamin D, and it doesn't have that gross synthetic taste, which 
lots of other competitors, quite frankly, do. Not going to lie. Also, you get a free shaker with your first order too, as well as the scoop. Also, it works out to only like £1.68 per 400 calorie meal, which especially at these times is very important. I mean, that's actually the way that you and I got into protein, I think, is it not? In the office when we worked together, we got sent some and I just like needed to save money. So I was like, great, I'll just have this at lunchtime. So too, I often have Huel as lunch as well. You can order online. All you need to do is go to huel.com slash straight up and you'll see all of the black edition there, all the flavors, Ellie's fave, chocolate. Enjoy, honeys. Enjoy. Anyway, back to the menu. The menu. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. So, like we're saying, very ironic that it has come out around the same time that Noma's like announced that it's closing its doors because basically they said it's just like unsustainable, it's too much. Partly because it's such a sustainable restaurant. Yeah. Right? And it's just bonkers. Um, not, not to criticise what they're doing there. Obviously, there's a reason it's like known as the best restaurant in the world. I'm just not a big fine dining person nor are you we hate it and i think like there were loads of mirroring moments from the menu and from apparently the experience at noma obviously i've never been there um but as an example obviously one of the courses other than the breadless bread plate is the island which is just like vegetables and a scallop like served on a giant bit of rock you know that (laughs) one This piece makes the comparison of like at Noma, one of the signature dishes is the hen and egg, which, you know, you can use all these fancy words to describe, but it's basically just a fried egg. Oh my God. Yeah, it is. It is really funny. And also beyond just the fact that it's like making fun of uh, fine dining, it's a really good um, like tableau of all these different rich people and their own yeah, private dramas yeah. at their tables you and like, like pan from one to the other as they're like beefing about separate like things. awful different rich people like <laughs> the couple who like literally just want to like spend money to fill their vacuous like horrible lives and boring relationship and then like the annoying food critic that's like pretending that she's like absolutely loving every single dish oh just to like God. sound like a snob basically we won't ruin the twist basically no. there is a twist you're there's a reason why they're all there and then it gets a bit freaky um Anna Taylor Joy is pretty good she's good but yeah. not awards worthy and therefore she wasn't nominated for an Oscar Ooh. I know what you mean I thought she was good in it but it's not a hugely um well-rounded character no it's not like she... quite simplistic like at first I actually had to rewind the beginning a few times to be like have I missed something and then I was like oh no it's meant to be this opening where you're not quite sure what the relationship between her character and Nicholas Holt's character is Yes, Nicholas Holt is so good in it. He's very good. He is so funny. He's such a funny actor. He is. And he doesn't actually have like tons of lines. It's a lot in his like facial comedy. Yeah, he's really good. No, poor Anya. It's very much, she brought what she could to the role, but the role is limiting, to be fair. Yes. And you've actually done a big profile interview with Anya Taylor-Joy before, have you not? I have. You went to brunch. Oh, we did get to brunch. We went to pharmacy in Notting Hill. For the OG listeners, I may have told the story before, but I am getting old and I am going to be Oh no, you've got to tell it again because I feel like it's a really good one. It is. So I was a huge fan of Anya Taylor-Joy from The Witch, which is her first film. So good. If anyone has not seen it yet, it's like a folk horror. Um, And then I also really liked her in um, Split, in which she fights James McAvoy as a... M. Night Shyamalan. Yes. One. I never know how to say his name. Shemin that is right, is it? Shemin. M. Night Shyamalan. I think you're right. Yeah. God, I hope I am. Yes, yeah, so she plays uh, one of the kids he abducts. Um, anyway, she was kind of like on the rise. This was pre-Queen's Gambit, pre-Emma. And I profiled her um, for the cover of the Telegraph Review. And she was so nice. It has to be one of my favourite interviews. I think partly because it was that sweet spot of she was famous 
in a cult way, but hadn't done loads of media training. She wasn't like a Hollywood star. No, no, there was no PR. I no PR, just, so it was just two of you at lunch. It was just two of us. Did she choose the restaurant? She chose, because she lived in Notting Hill at that time. Is she a vegan? Do you know? Can you remember what she ate? Oh my God. We shared. So she can't. You shared? God, yes. I feel like that's very intimate. She was very much like, oh, let's like try some of each other's. It would be quite her to be vegan, wouldn't it? Mm. From the vibe. I, obviously my memory's so terrible, I can't remember. But yes, she was incredibly nice. She was so um, self-aware and I would say a kind of almost bordering on critical way I felt quite sorry for her I think she was she definitely doesn't think of herself as a beautiful person and she was she's not unable to watch herself on screen because she's like I'm so weird looking she was also just so trusting like there was some stuff that she told me that she was like I don't want you to put that in the piece this is off the record I want to like come out with it um, attached to a charity but I was like wow that's so trusting of a journalist to tell me this massive thing that happened to you um, and then just just trust I won't put it in the piece I mean obviously but you know I there's definitely people that wouldn't. She abide sounds very by that. unguarded. Yes, and maybe she will have regretted that. And I say that actually, <laughs> she kind of did. I'm laughing because I know what's coming next. So you need to tell the listeners. Yes, I mean, in one way, it's really sad because this this is one of the sad things of being journalists is that you have these amazing conversations and experiences with people you get on so well. They really open up to you because they trust you because you're a normal person. So I think what's really sad then is when you when you're when you're really good at your job in the sense that you get people to open up to you, but then they are destabilized by that when they see the piece written yeah. up. Because I think it's just really fucking weird to see your life story written up yeah. by the stranger you met yesterday and like told them your deepest darkest. I mean, it's like a therapy session. It is, and like you say, just even to see like a sentence that you've said written down, yeah. like we've said before, tones change, all of the rest of it. Like it feels probably a lot more brutal when you see like autobiographical detail about yourself in black and white, then when you say a conversation to someone in passing. Exactly. And then obviously like she'll tell me all this stuff, but I've got to shape it and I've got to put it in this certain order that I've, my perspective yeah. of it essentially. So I can totally understand why most celebrities hate reading interviews with themselves. However, she actually did say through her PR person that she did love it, except for the headline, which I didn't write to be fair. My boss did. You're like never ending. Oh, yes. I didn't. Problem. Writers don't write their own headlines, guys. I don't know how many more times we have to say this. Um, but I was in Toulouse with some friends on a summer holiday and I got like loads of missed calls from her PR, uh, picked up and she was like, Anya is hysterically crying. She oh, is so on. betrayed by the headline, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, the headline was basically like a quote from the piece, but it was, was obviously, it? it was, and I'm, in hindsight, this is a delicate thing and obviously a headline takes the context away, but that is essentially what a headline does. I mean, there's no way around it. Um, it was about the fact that it was the middle of the Me Too movement and she was kind of explaining to me that she had this power when she came onto film sets as a woman in the middle of the Me Too movement because male uh, people on set were just kind of scared of her, mm. scared of the power she had in that moment, in that like specific cultural moment. So... Um, she talked about being aware of that on a certain production set. And we used that um, in the headline. But I think she was really worried that to the people that she was working with at the time, because she was actually still filming with them, it looked like she was kind of slating them. Right, or, yeah, she thought it might like reflect negatively yeah. on those colleagues being like... 
they all have to do what I say because they're worried about Yes, I think it maybe made her look like a diva or something. Mm. Like, oh, you know, yeah, I kind of call the shots when I step on set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I kind oh, of understand. It's so difficult, isn't it? Anyway, we'll leave my blacklist yeah. of celebs there. <laughs> um, tell me, babe, about your worst fiending Oh, experience. my God. So I've been trying to think about this, knowing <laughs> that we were going to talk about the menu, and I have several. Um, but I will say... Okay, so firstly, I would actually just like to preface this with the worst thing that I have ever eaten full stop is a thousand year egg, which was in China. And it's like a special Chinese oh delicacy. God. And I ate it when I was in Beijing. And I actually saw one on Instagram recently. And so I saved it so I could show it to you. Oh my um, God, this will be my natural reaction. Yeah. I have not seen this before. And was it heavy? I can imagine it's like, because it's so rotten, it actually gains weight. I think, no, it was like a normal egg. Like it had been cut into quarters. It's like it was an egg half and half again. Was the yolk yellow? Um, no, it had gone kind of like blue. Blue! Uh, let me find this for you. So it was first hatched um, in No, the... no, so it's like a, it's like being like fermented. So it's like an egg, Oh, so yeah. it's not actually a thousand years old? I don't think so, but it's been like fermented for a long period of time. I don't think, yeah, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah. I would like to know how many years it's been. I would actually as well. All right, I'm just going to have to find this for you. Sorry, one sec. Um, oh, come on, thousand year egg. Also, I would like to say, whilst Kathleen is searching for that, that caveat, we are fully aware that it is incredibly privileged and um, amazingly... Extremely um, annoying for us to say. Yes. We obviously loved all the opportunities we got travelling the world, eating. <laughs> no, it's amazing. I literally love reviewing restaurants. What I would just say is that fine dining isn't really my thing. I prefer, like, really, really well done, like, gastro pub star food, you yes, know? Yes, yeah. I have found the thousand year egg. Oh my god, okay. Oh my god! Oh my god, it's black. Yeah, oh like literally the whole egg's gone black. God. Like and so yeah, I ate a quarter of that. And I'm very sorry this isn't to like denigrate Chinese culture Century. in any way. I obviously love Chinese food, had the most amazing time in Beijing. Was visiting a friend who lives there and it was literally just so fabulous. But that was a local delicacy that I did not enjoy. Oh I went we went to the toilet and it had been about ten minutes and I was just like what in the middle of the street so yeah sorry for that guys but that was not fine dining and um, that was uh, like a more uh, for, local for people that don't want to look it up um it's like jellied and it gets blacker and blacker in the middle yeah it's like so the white bit of the egg's gone black and then the yolk is like blue because it's like so aged thing is yeah. there's a difference between like wanting to try local cuisine and then a century old egg like being marketed as a century old i know egg. Like, i was literally like but what is a thousand year egg anyway um i would probably say that my worst fine dining experience is generally again i don't love french cuisine sorry to talk about your people that's quite in rude. that way um but uh i've gone off it as well to be fair have you okay yes. so um obviously my boyfriend and I did a trip to Antibes in France. Beyonce and you. My, yeah, my fiance. God, it feels so weird saying that. But um, we went to Antibes in France for like three days a few years ago. And um, I was doing a travel guide to the place. And so went to a couple of different restaurants and stayed in some really nice hotels. Like so lucky. Obviously, I'm absolutely not minimizing the intense, insane privilege but one of the places we stayed at just for one night was um this hotel called Belle Reve you I feel like I know said that. that yeah I think somehow you and I managed to squeeze like two GQ reviews out of them in like a year yeah, we um, did. and Classic. that's obviously very traditional French fine dining and oh my god I found that difficult to eat especially because we had lunch there like this like epic 10 10 course meal we were quite hungover and it was at like 12 15 or something a reservation so you're like starting on like cold like raw razor clams <gasps> like as you sit down like covered with like gels and foams and like what I have to do in those situations is just like 
try and drink as much water as possible and, and almost like back it. Yeah. Yeah. That's my way of like back getting through those. Yeah. Whereas Marlon's like, he's kind of, I don't know, maybe because he's not the journalist, he's actually kind of more like, I'm sorry, but I actually can't eat that. Like he wouldn't say it to the staff, but there was this moment where there was like a pigeon breast and I was like, okay, I've seen that before. That's not that much of a big deal. Like obviously, and it was very um, rare in the middle. It was like bright pink. So I obviously just forced it down. And Marlon was like, I actually can't eat that. And so he wrapped it in his napkin and put it in his pocket and went and flushed it down the toilet in a very, very nice French fine dining restaurant. Oh my God. Isn't that awful? I love I'm, that. It's awful of us, but I was really annoyed. I was like, you can't, you can't. He was like, I'm going to, I don't care what you say. <laughs> I can't eat this and I can't leave it on the plate for when they come and take it away because it's too rude. So <laughs> That reminds me of when I once, I used to, I was trying to do Japanese GCSE, gave up because I was so shit at it. And my Japanese teacher invited us around to her house and it was the first time I'd eaten sushi and I didn't like fish and I was younger at all. And I put all the sushi with the rice and everything in my pockets. <gasps> And then my mum obviously put, it's my school uniform, put it in the washing, oh, mach- washing no. machine. I've never seen her so livid. All the rice. Did it stink? It was more like you couldn't wear anything for days it was without just there being and... rice, somehow rice had gotten in it. Oh my God. And it was like seaweed as well, loads of seaweed. Oh, Not your cup of tea. Love sushi now though. What is your worst fine dining experience? I'm such an unadventurous eater. But I actually wouldn't call you an unadventurous eater. I'd say you like love going to all different restaurants. You like trying lots of different things. You're right. As long as it's not fish and as yeah. long as it's not like, you know, pig's head and things. Yeah. Which brings me on to this disastrous <laughs> experience. So I was sent to Madrid, um, again, tiny violin, um, to interview this chef uh, called David Munoz. And he has this restaurant called Street XO. That's not how you pronounce it. I literally don't know how you pronounce it. Uh I think it's like Strix. No, I honestly don't know. Anyway, it's spelt. That's how it's written kind of phonetically, Street XO. There's one in Mayfair as well. And he, his one in Madrid is famous. And it's a bit problematic. Like all the chefs wear straight jackets. That's a bit the menu. Y- yeah, actually it is. <laughs> so they're kind of making fun of the fact that like, it's a madhouse and there are no waiters. Like you sit around a you sit around the kitchen. Oh God, that's even worse because they see your reaction yes. to everything. And I was being filmed. I was convinced I was going to be on chef's table because he's that kind of mad chef. He's like a celebrity in Madrid. He has a mohawk. Like if he's <laughs> if someone to do chef's table, he would be the one. Um, I did Google it after, so I'm definitely not on it. And uh, I don't know what they were filming for. Um, anyway, so we arrived there and I'm with a critic from the Times who really did remind me of the woman in the menu because everything we got served she was like oh my god this is gorgeous and I was just like actually I did have one you know when you have an involuntary wretch yeah I had that uh, when they gave me they gave me okay they gave me a cheddar cheese cocktail liquid cheddar on the side was a caramelized prawn head clipped to the side of the glass with a little metal oh, thing that you use my picture, you know, God. that you like clip pictures that to. Actually, like that is literally the menu. That no, who likes that? Who would choose to spend their money on that? Who? This is my beef with that level of fine dining. And the chef in, do, the, in the straight jacket looked at me and said, "Dip your prawn head into the cheddar cocktail." I did it. Oh my God! I and then real. when I finished that, um, I thought I was gonna hurl. Uh, Actually, can't look at you while you're saying this. He had a spoon, and then he had one of those funnels that you pipette icing out of. You know those things that you t- like a piping bag. A piping bag yeah. of caramelized prawn brain, which oh, he piped what? out onto his teaspoon, <laughs> and I had to swallow it. 
<laughs> and also like and you had to be like really passionate and enthusiastic and like mm. I didn't to be fair for me it was more like don't be sick don't be sick just quietly just get this down yeah down yeah because you can't even be like sorry I need to go to the toilet like straight away no. right in the middle of the meal because it's like 15 of you around this 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 kitchen there's not tables that really that actually sounds awful and then he served me crispy um, chicken feet and oh, yeah, then that's the thing isn't it Caram- uh, crispy pig ear and it was with the pig ear that very much comes as a pig's ear on your plate that I did the involuntary wretch that was like literally in front of everyone like oh my god yeah, yeah that sounds like a dog treat like I'm sure I've given Arthur like a dehydrated <laughs> pig's ear before <laughs> oh god it's awful and then the next day so I made it through that and then the next day we went across Madrid to his three Michelin starred restaurant where oh my god was that one like a one Michelin star or something I don't so think this- it had stars what? And they're serving prawn head cocktails. Oh my God. Because it was like super kooky. I mean, right. to be fair, it's very popular. Like for people that like that kind of stuff. People love food as experimentation, I guess, don't they? And I yeah. just, I'm not one of those people. I like food as enjoyment. Oh uh, yes, exactly. It's yeah. it's quite like, it's at the top of a department center and like it's cool music and you know. It's like edgy. It's edgy. I mean, I hope they're not still wearing their straight jackets. As in literally like to look like they're in a mental asylum. Like that's not okay in the Stone Age. Um, anyway, so we went across the town to his other restaurant and we had a 23 course menu and it was kind of and we were that literally hurts my stomach oh it was awful I mean even just 23 bites because they're just bites but you feel it's all these different mad stuff so rich it's mad, and, and what's even worse is it was like you we were <laughs> we were in this like little cabin like covered in velvet curtains and waiters would like appear out of them with like things like receptacles that we would have to like find we'd have to find the egg yolk or whatever like it was interactive like right. you'd, all, you'd have to like earn your plate or whatever and at one point during the meal I was like 15 courses in literally wanting to die and um I was wearing a white sundress and I remember also we were eating with the chef which is even worse yeah and the waiter comes up to me and goes madam do not use your knife for this course because they tell you they instruct you how to eat every course as they always do in these places and he was like just eat at home and then they brought out the thing and I just was so tired and fed up I just didn't think and it was like this egg and I didn't want to put the whole egg in my mouth so I cut it open and I just remember this like bright yellow yolk just like spurting like so violently all over (laughs) my white sundress and I was with the PR and the chef and I felt like a really professional food and drink journalist I mean the poor Times critic must be like who is this 22 year old child who doesn't make a mockery of my profession yeah and like she was probably pissed off she was like oh my god I've like earned my stripes to be here and who are you yeah and I do get that but I also think like read the menu as well like I also sort I refuse to believe that the majority of people enjoy food in that way yes I said like who most people aren't restaurant critics you know and I don't mean that the restaurant critics shouldn't do their job of course they should be the expert but I also think you should consider what's like accessible and that's why I very much like Grace Dent anyway uh that is our moaning over with but hopefully most of you will agree guess what i watched this weekend what actually i know on your recommendation yes you know i'm gonna say i'm so glad you watched it so i didn't have to yes shotgun wedding new j-lo film on amazon prime kathleen loved it j-lo she loves a shit j-lo rom-com so obviously i love this and how how good is it like be honest with me so I would say your review was very fair, giving it three out of five stars. Yes, um, actually not not too harsh. Three. No. Three is good. And it was a fun film, you know. I would say it's on a similar level to Marry Me. 
Um, Marry I, Me, I thought was bad. Yeah. Uh, okay, maybe a little bit better in that it's like quite fast paced. It's like a silly, fun, like background hangover kind of film, you know? Yeah. So it's basically set in the Philippines and it's the film, if you recall, that Army Hammer was meant to be in but was taken off when all the cannibalism accusations came out. Because she denies. Yeah, sorry, allegedly. Uh, so <laughs> it's now Dosh, uh, Josh Jahamel. And yes, Jennifer Coolidge is in it. Basically, they're in the Philippines for their wedding. The husband, um, Josh Hamill, has set the whole thing up. Darcy, who's J-Lo's character, is like a high-flying lawyer who didn't really want the big white wedding and was happy to just get married I on the love beach. watching women lawyers on screen. Yeah, and well, they don't show a single part of her actual work. Oh. They just reference the fact that she is a lawyer, but it like opens literally in the Philippines. So all you see is them like getting ready for their wedding. Um, but lo and behold... Filipino pirates uh, take control of the island and all the guests are held at gunpoint. <laughs> so to be it's... fair, in the review, Elisa does say, like, fair fair on the director to bring, like, a shootout into a rom-com. Exactly. Like, it is quite fun. Yeah. And like I say, it is, it's, it's, you know, a step... A st- it's another iteration of one of JLo's wedding films. Why is she obsessed with weddings? She is obsessed with weddings. Does she um, have a problem? And she's I... got married, hasn't she? So yeah. she's been engaged five times. Obviously, not all of those have ended with a wedding. That's in real life. There's an amazing piece on Vulture, which I have dug up and I feel is very relevant oh, to yeah? this review and for our listeners because they're going to love this. Uh, it's in Vulture and it's an attempt to make sense of the Jennifer Lopez wedding industrial complex canon. Basically reading like all her wedding catalogue as like meta commentary on like the wedding industrial complex generally and how like planning these like big showy weddings actually makes people miserable and how, um, you know, Love at the end of the day is about just like running off and doing it, the two of you. But like there's always the promise of like another wedding. So it counts all the wedding films that she's been in and it's nine. And I actually could even think reading that list of other wedding films that she's been in that are not mentioned there. Not like wedding films, but films where she's in a wedding dress. Um, so yeah, she doesn't always follow through. It was quite funny as well because it made the point. It was like of these nine, nine films... The love interest is always a tall white man and 50% of the time a doctor. Because <laughs> you know how in the best unrefuted JLo wedding film is, of course, The Wedding Planner with Matthew McConaughey. Haven't Please, seen it. Oh my God. Okay, that is literally... I'm horrified. You actually look horrified. No, no, that is a classic, hun. Like, you, if you call yourself a Jennifer Lopez fan, you need to get home and watch that I don't later. know if I am. You watch the... Netflix documentary, so you must care some somewhat. Yes, I did watch that. Yes, so trust me, I would say that Wedding Planners is a far better film than Hustlers. Okay, actually, um, I did love Hustlers. Exactly. So okay, no, you're right. I, I think you'll really watch enjoy it. that. Um, but yeah, basically, it's just about how this piece charts in the really funny way that, like, you know, even like four of those nine films literally center entirely on like the planning and execution of like a modern American wedding, um, not just like the concept of matrimony, but like ex- explicitly like this like wedding industrial complex of like organizing this like ridiculous like show essentially um and as the writer puts it if two is a coincidence and three is a pattern then four is a cry for help lopez herself has been married four times and engaged at least five which means she may be cinema's foremost expert on the marital realities of putting together a wedding a process she recently told jimmy kimmel was so stressful that it gave her ptsd she also often is a producer on her films meaning she's in them as well as of them. In other words, we should listen to J-Lo when she makes four movies about women whose wedding planning nearly destroys their lives. That is so good. Isn't that so good? And Although, again, wouldn't you say, though, that it makes her seem tragic to keep doing these films about failed weddings when she's had her own failed weddings? Or is it well, very ironic? I sort of know what you mean, but I think maybe that's what they're saying that she's gesturing at, is that these weddings are what ruins the relationships. 
essentially. And do so we... that is the storyline of Shotgun Wedding. It's that the husband has wanted to plan this like ridiculously like OTT wedding. The narrative is essentially they never needed the big wedding anyway. And a small, truly loving one is far more appropriate for couples who could be, almost be ripped apart by the psychological stress of a big day. Do you think though... And I, I think Jolo's far too clever and self-aware to not realise that that's the kind of commentary she's giving. Oh no, she must be doing it on purpose. But then why isn't she, why, wouldn't it be good if she'd done a great interview about it? I think she just loves wearing a wedding dress. That's maybe my uh, theory. She just loves getting in a wedding dress. Maybe. And just maybe she also just knows that obviously I guess all, she's the queen of the rom-com and essentially the wedding is... A, well, I was going to say narrative pivot, isn't it? it? It can't be surely that she's just not realised that she keeps making films about weddings because no, no, yeah, just... they're definitely insinuating that she knows, and they make like all these funny little like um, comparisons. They go through all nine films and and look at the different um, ways in which they're essentially similar. So they're like, "What's her damage about the bride?" And the bride is always like damaged. Like it will be like. So the Darcy Riviera, the woman yeah. lawyer in Shotgun Wedding, um, her parents got divorced when she was in high school and they now hate each other. Um, and she had a failed first engagement with a boyfriend she met serving in the Peace Corps, which is Lenny Kravitz, who, by the way, is probably the best thing about the film. Oh, my God, Lenny Kravitz amazing. is so good. And my God, he must be one of the only other people in his 50s, like J-Lo, that looks... Is he even in, I mean, he might even be in his 60s. He looks sensational. Like Akon? He is... I'm sorry, no offence, Akon, but Lenny Kravitz is vastly... More attractive Gosh. than Akon. Um, he is just the epitome of sexy older man, isn't he? But J-Lo, my God, at 53. George Clooney, but, sorry, George Clooney is so hot. I think Lenny Kravitz is hotter. Really? Because George, um, yeah, George Clooney is kind of like the silver fox, like doctor vibe. And Lenny Kravitz is like the cool band guy. You yeah, know? cool fashion taste. Um, but they have this like section in every single um, little mini like explainer, which is to what extent is she quietly and unbelievably a good person? <laughs> all of the main characters are. So it will be like this one did the Peace Corps, you know, one in a different film, like, finds $20 on the floor and gives it to a barista instead God, of keeping it. The like, vulture writers are just so inventive, they're aren't they? They're so good, but it's so, like, right. Do you know what I mean? And it'll be like, who is the groom? As I say, they are often tall white doctors, which is why um, Marry Me, he's obviously a white teacher, but he is not tall. Oh, yes. What's his Private name again? Uh, Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. Talking of people that keep doing um, the same kind of film, what do we think of Liam Neeson always doing that I need to save a relative or someone? Has he got film? another one coming out? Um, he's like got a Taken style a film. film with J-Lo <gasps> no yes and it's classic Liam Neeson have you noticed that all of his films have something to do with winter ice or snow or being cold well there's that snowplow one isn't there in but... cold pursuit winter something and I think his one with J-Lo is set in winter um, and uh, I don't know what they do it's like an, an, an action film I think she plays like a female mafia boss or something like that. Oh, fun. But um, I wonder, and this is me playing psychiatrist, which is probably inappropriate, <laughs> but Liam Neeson obviously lost his wife. Yeah. <gasps> in a skiing accident. Yeah, Emma Thompson. She fell and smashed her head, basically. Oh my God. That's even more symbolism to the whole ice snow thing. It is actually. His tragedy has been really like wrapped up with snow. And I wonder... <laughs> Sorry, that it's... wasn't meant to be funny, but... <laughs> you actually said that so sincerely. Yeah. Um, and... All his films are about. Oh saving. my god! Sorry, no, it's not Emma Thompson. She's very much alive. I've just realised <laughs> that we. I thought you were talking about a different Emma Thompson. Emma great. <laughs> it's <laughs> Natasha. Someone. I'm going to have to check that. I just assumed she was also called Emma Thompson. No, but she kind of looks like Emma Thompson, and that's that's why I'm thinking of it. Um, we must make that correction. Uh, Natasha Richardson. <laughs> Thompson is alive and well. Um, 
Yes. So I wonder if his films are kind of drawn to a darkness inside him because he's always wanting to save a woman. Mm, he's like exercising all of that previous yeah. trauma through his he's roles. Couldn't save his wife. Interesting. Sad. Well, on to meta marketing media moments. We must discuss Miley Cyrus Flowers. Yes. Do you or do you not love? I love. Uh, to be honest, I've listened to it only twice and no, wasn't blown away. Really? I really yes. like it. I would say it's maybe even one of my all-time favourite Miley songs. Oh my God. Miley's one of those um, I've never famous really people. Been I used to Miley. really, it, again, kind of interesting in, turn of like, in terms of internalised misogyny that's pushed by the media because I used to hate Miley Cyrus. When she came out with Wrecking Ball, I was like, you're literally the most annoying person on earth. Stop doing the middle finger. Stop sticking your tongue out and just fuck off. That's literally how I felt. Yes, and also her um, like whitewashing twerking and making it. Yeah, thing. and like that weird performance that she did with that guy. on Robin Thicke. Yes, I was literally like, I can't deal with this attention seeking. Whereas now I'm like, she's actually a really like interesting, eccentric, complicated, funny brilliant young woman and I've completely changed Gosh. my mind on her. Um, you sound like you're writing a school report. Yeah. But she like. does seem like she's been keeping herself to herself and is just making the music right now. Yeah. So basically, people have obviously been looking for the little like Easter eggs um, mm. that suggest that it is definitely about him because she released it on his birthday. <gasps> so it's really obvious that it's about it. Do you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't release. Is she doing a tailor with the red scarf? slightly I read quite an interesting piece about how or I dipped into an interesting piece on ABC about how this like meta marketing is like this new way to create like a real buzz around something Ooh. from the artists themselves and side note apparently Miley's uh, current marketing manager is an ex-super fan of hers so they've obviously knowingly helped her like lay all these oh, easter eggs and stuff so um, and um, they basically talk about how Taylor Swift is the master of these social media easter eggs um, these little like clues that she has everywhere so they use an example her song um, would have could have would have, could have, should have, um, is supposedly about John Mayer, who she did when she was 19, and it's the 19th track on the album. So it's like those Very tiny little touches that like could be coincidental, but like And it's so true, like the red scarf, the Jake Gyllenhaal song um, with the red scarf, that literally became her merch. That's yeah. like her most popular merch, yeah. is a red scarf, Taylor scarf. It's basically a, a, a more clever way of like ramping up fan interest around your music before it even comes out, because uh, they think they're going to get like personal stuff about you. So I found a great thread that I'm going to read to everyone now, because I also feel that you must know these facts. Can you do it in the voices of Liam and Miley? No, because I can't switch between American accent and Australian. It'll just be too much. Can you just um, try? For the well, you know, time? I actually am quite good in Australian accent. <laughs> like, I don't know why. I just am good at Australian. You sound like Margot Robbie there. I don't know why. Okay, so just you, got can it. you just do it then? Because clearly, um, and I've heard your American accent. It's all right, right, I'll try it. No, it's going off now. <laughs> okay, just do one segue between the two. Liam Hemsworth's references in Miley Silas's Flowers music video and song, A Thread. <laughs> Does that work? I don't know. It's harder when I'm reading than just like ad-libbing. Okay, so number one. Obviously, Miley Cyrus released Flowers along with the music video on her ex-husband's birthday. Definitely I thought they were married. I forgot that. Well, yes. <laughs> The vintage YSL dress that Miley wore in the music video belongs to the same collection as that of her wedding dress, and it's also the same designer. That is not a coincidence. You sound um, like an like an Australian man, and I I'm, don't know yes, why. Yes, it's like a guy that would like get shrimps on the butt. No, I'm sorry about that. That's probably deeply offensive to any Australian listeners. Um, yeah, Did you just say shrimps on the Barbie. Yes, that is what I was going to say. <laughs> 
because it was a line out of my childhood play. No, I have to say that was pretty good, Kath. Well okay, done. thank you. I shall do the rest of my normal voice. Okay. Um, yeah, and also <laughs> literally very sorry to any Australian listeners yes, about that. Sorry. Um, I do think people actually find it offensive sorry, when you we shan't be um, mock their accents, but yeah. <laughs> feel free to mock my accent, guys. Send me a voice note. I don't mind. In return, <laughs> um, <laughs> a voice memo on DM. Um, Okay, more facts. According to several sources, the mansion where the Flowers music video was filmed was the house where Liam's Hem- where Liam Hemsworth had sex with several women, allegedly 14. At the same time? Well, I don't know. It turns out this alleged 14 is perhaps part of the reason behind their divorce. Oh, my God. Oh, sorry. 14 women? Yes. And the house where the video is recorded is apparently where he would do that. That's what this tweet what says. Wrong with so them? it must be true. Yes. <laughs> um... Miley Cyrus wore a suit just like the one Liam wore at their wedding and also at a movie premiere in the video. So the bit where she's wearing like this black suit is mm. identical to the one he wore in the wedding. Who wore it better? Uh, I'll show you now. You can make your decision. I, I think I like um, a woman in a suit, so we'll go with Miley. Yeah. Um, also, Miley recreated the little infamous dance steps she did that she once made to Liam during a red carpet when he was sadly ashamed of her and acted embarrassed in front of journalists. <gasps> I want to watch that. I know, they've only got a screen grab here, so we, we're going to have to dig it out, yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, again, there's so many here, she definitely did this completely on purpose. Liam dedicated When I Was Your Man to Miley at the couple's engagement party. Flowers is a clear response to Bruno Mars' song and samples it as well. Oh my so, God. And then it's got like a little like thing side by side of the lyrics and it's showing like the Bruno Mars lyrics like When I Was Your Man that's like, that I should have bought you flowers and held your hand. Should have gave you all my hours when I had the chance. Takes you to every, take you to every party because all you wanted to do was dance. And obviously hers is, I can buy myself flowers. I can hold my hand, take myself, talk to myself for hours. I can take myself to Oh my dancing. God, this is vicious. Okay, yeah. I have so much respect for this and I think it's so clever and I totally agree that the, the meta marketing is very, very smart business move. But you're not going to regret like, the and same with Shakira, like don't, and Prince Harry and everyone airing your dirty laundry in public. I mean, I guess someone like Miley probably feels that everyone knows so much about yeah. them anyway that it's like, Became may as well have my say. No, and right. I do think it is a trend at the moment, like we say with um, Shakira. You know how recently Lana Del Rey like got the entire like billboard promoting yeah. the breakup anthem in the town that her ex lives in? Oh, yeah. Like, it must be like, it's it's a... God, men are going to be so frightened to... Um, go out with musicians. Go out with Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Iconic, mm. really. Um, okay, basic question for you. Who is hotter, Chris or Liam? Ooh, I'm going to have to pull them up because I get confused between the two. Fun fact, I once interviewed um, Chris Hemsworth on the phone. Did or you? Was it Liam? God, that's annoying. That was... No, it's Oh, Westworld. yeah. Okay, I must say, I would probably say Chris is more conventionally attractive, but I bet you I'd fancy Liam more in real life. You know? Which one was in Westworld? Uh, so Chris Hemsworth is like more typically good looking one that plays like some kind of superhero doesn't he yeah he's Thor and he was in Extraction 2 Star Trek he's actually he's Thor yes Thor sorry I said it wrong what did you say Thor Thor. (laughs) Um, he Um, plays I really like him turning into fat Thor yep so I personally would say Liam would be my bag he has been in The Hunger Games and not much else no the last song with Miley as well so he hasn't been in Westworld the Witcher, he's in to be fair. So can you? Uh, abs- I don't know who the hell's in Westworld. I don't think either of them are. Yes, are they, they are. One of them is. Oh. Please find out. Uh, let me check. Uh, Luke Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> is he their brother? I interviewed him. Yes, he is. The- <laughs> oh, oh, you got the the worst of the bunch. I'm afraid the, the dud of the three. No wonder I can't remember it. Yes, yes, <laughs> he is not as good looking, but still. Oh, sad. Um, right. On well, that note, I feel like we've chatted. 
quite, quite a while. I need to go home and eat a pad thai. Ooh, yummy. Yeah, I've made a pho this evening. Oh, I know, lovely. I just also pronounced that wrong. Sorry about my terrible pronoun. Pho. It's meant to be pho, That's isn't it? it? Yeah. Um, what were you boiling chicken stock for then? For that. Oh, you're making yeah. your own pho. Yeah, because I had roast chicken yesterday, so I'm trying to oh. repurpose the uh, the carcass. I had haggis on Saturday. Did you? Didn't like it, sorry. Uh, God, we're just offending every single culture. I know, we actually need to shut up. Like, yeah. really, we'll stop now, guys. Yeah, um, sorry. Sorry. Right. Let us know what you thought. <laughs> and Maybe don't. We'll see you next week for for a celebrity interview, in fact. With a very fantastic woman. Very fantastic woman. Um, please rate, review, subscribe and send this to your nearest and dearest. Thank you guys. Bye. We love you. Bye.